Okay, welcome everyone. Hello, I'm Bonnie Lin, a PhD candidate in practical theology at Princeton Theological Seminary. And I'm very honored to introduce Dr. Geoman George, who is Associate Dean and core faculty member at the City Seminary of New York. Geoman leads the International Gospel Church, a mission organization involved in church planting and social transformation in India. A PhD graduate of the University of Edinburgh, Geoman also pastors the International Gospel Church of Connecticut and has published a book on religious pluralism, challenges for Pentecostalism in India. Geoman's presentation is titled, Living in the Promised Land, the Impact of the Black Lives Matter Movement on Indian American Christians Living in New York City's Metropolitan Areas. Welcome, Geoman. Thank you so much, Bonnie. Let me just share my screen. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. It is a privilege and a joy to be part of this important conversation. Jaswint Kaur, age 64. Amarjit Sekhon, age 48. Jaswinder Singh, age 68. And Amarjit Johal, age 66. They lived in Indianapolis, Indiana, and was part of Sikh religious faith. At the beginning of this month, they joined thousands of Sikhs in 14 states, including Indiana, celebrating Sikh Awareness and Appreciation Month, recognizing Sikhs as an integral part of communities throughout America. On Thursday, April 15th, they celebrated Vaisakhi, one of the most significant religious festivals of the year. Then they went to work. They, like so many other frontline workers, rolled up their sleeves and went to work during COVID-19 pandemic at a FedEx facility so that Americans of all backgrounds can get their packages that was ordered online, probably from the safety and security of their homes. A 19-year-old also went to that facility, not for work, but with an intent to kill. On that day, he killed nine people, including himself. Police have yet to declare a motive for the attack, but they say he had mental health issues. Hearing this, Lydia, an American of Indian heritage, says with a raised voice that sounded like thunder. If it is a brown colored person, they would call this terrorism. To make matters even worse, 
very little conversation about this incident is being connected to the to the larger anti-Asian American violence. Deborah, an American teenager of Indian heritage, asks, are we that invisible? Are we so marginalized that no one cares? She stands up from a chair in protest and passionately gives a speech on how Indian Americans have, have been contributing to the economy, culture, and the religious landscape of the United States of America. Her younger sister chimes in. Don't they know that there are thousands of healthcare workers who are from India? We even have an Indian auntie as vice president of the United States. She, of course, she's referring to Kamala Harris. With the lowering of her voice, she continues, I guess it don't matter. But then she raises her voice, but it does matter. The first immigrants from India came to the United States over 100 years ago from the state of Punjab and worked as farmers in California. The shortage crisis in the healthcare industry and the Immigration and Naturalization Act of 1965 provided a wave of migration from the southern state of Kerala, India in the 1960s and 70s. What is interesting is that this movement was primarily led by women. Women were the trailblazers leaving home in search of economic mobility. Many of them, single women, came to the United States to work in the healthcare industry as nurses. Also, the current crisis in information technology is creating a new wave of immigrants from other states of Andhra and Telangana. My aunt was part of the first wave. With the Malayalam Bible in her hand, Malayalam is the language of the people from the state of Kerala, a nursing degree from an Indian college and spices in her luggage, dreams and aspiration of a small community in India. She disembarked from the Air France at John F. Kennedy Airport in New York City on a hot summer day in 1972. For Christians from India, United States is the promised land, the land of milk and honey. It is estimated that there are over 2.7 million Indians living in cities like Chicago, Dallas, Orlando, Edison, New Jersey, Philadelphia, LA, New York City, among many others. In this new land, they had to learn to navigate and negotiate in order for them to flourish. Their strange dress, accent, and smell of spicy food made it difficult for them to assimilate easily. 
Many identified with the biblical character of Gideon. Gideon in the book of Judges would work hard, but when the harvest came, the enemies would come and take it. The first generation would work hard, but credits would often go to Americans. They were to be seen and not heard. Like Gideon, Indian Americans didn't give up, but kept working harder and longer hours, resulting in being called a model community. The first gener generation saw themselves as pilgrims, sojourners in this promised land. The 109th Congress in 2004-2005 passed the House Resolution 227 unanimously recognizing the valuable and significant contributions of Indian Americans to American society. Frida, a 1.5 generation Indian Christian, comments that the first generation brought into the model minority definition. They work hard, raise families, attend religious services, and build communities of their own. And they expect the next generation to do the same and remain silent in the public square. This was reflected in the article written by Angela Devon, senior digital producer with CNN International. An article she published on June 29, 2020, titled, Indians are being held up as a model minority. That's not helping the Black Lives Matter movement. She's concerned about the silence of the Indians living in the United States, UK, and Canada against anti-Black racism. While it is true that the percentage of South Indian Americans living in the United States that took to the streets is a small percentage, it cannot be equated to being silent. Real conversations in living rooms, churches, different digital platforms are taking place. Prayers are offered as a form of protest. Sunday schools have become places to share and grieve. There's much that is happening. If the first generation sees themselves as Gideon, the 2.0 generation ident identifies with other biblical characters. Princey, for example, sees herself as an American, and she identifies herself with Jael, a female character from the book of Judges. Jael was a foreigner, but instrumental in delivering the people of Israel. It is interesting to note that even though Princey identifies herself as an American, in the current situation, she sees herself and she feels, feels like she is a foreigner. She does not see this as something negative. Princey is active, energetic, and a prophetic voice in the Indian Christian community. One day, when there was a march for Black Lives Matter, she not only went, but invited two of her friends to join her. Princey says, it is important to stand in solidarity 
with our African-American brothers and sisters. Others have taken to digital media. Matthew Thomas, I have changed the name, writes on Facebook on June 2nd, 2020. Ever since I arrived in the United States, I have heard, seen, and experienced the reality of racism. More than my own personal experiences, I have learned numerous stories of racism from my friends, including from my wife. It took much courage for him to post this. Another young lady creates a YouTube channel with the hashtag Black Lives Matters. There's a long history of Indians standing with African Americans in the struggle and vice versa. We all know about the relationship between Martin Luther King Jr. and Gandhi in relation to nonviolence. But there were many others, such as Ram Manhor Lohia, who trained many civil rights leaders and was jailed for violating Southern Jim Crow laws in 1964. The caste system in India and racism in the United States created a bond between these two communities. This does not mean that all is well. Another leading Indian Pentecostal who wants to remain anonymous comments. I apologize. There is a, can you hear me? Trying to re apologize. Can you hear me now? Yes, we can hear you. Okay. Please feel free to uh, reshare the presentation. Okay. Can you see the presentation? Okay. There is uh, the caste system in India and racism in the United States created a bond between these two communities. This does not mean that all is well. Another leading Indian Pentecostal who wants to remain anonymous says, there is racism within our church. He goes on to comment, and actually he posted this on Facebook. At times we have rallied behind the rhetoric of ethnocentrism and even abused other minorities, at the very least the privacy of our homes and around dining table conversations. While it is outside the scope of this paper, it must be pointed out the caste system and colorism that is prevalent in India as possible contributing factors for this prevalent negative associations. I want to highlight few emerging themes of impact that Black Lives Matters have on Indian American Christians living in New York City metropolitan areas. Number one, it created space for conversations especially intergenerational conversations. Yesterday we heard about Dr. Borja talking about conversation with the other. But here it is also conversation from within. Frida, whom I introduced earlier, noticed in the church chat box, young people commenting on Black Lives Matter movement. One day during Sunday school, she opens this topic to the surprise of her class, one by one each of them started to share their stories and seeking ways to be in solidarity with their friends. Seeking out, seeking out for advice, 
she calls her dad. He encourages her to do it and then begins to open up about his experiences of racism that she never knew. Consequently, series of conversations were conducted in which both first generation and next generations joined together, listening to one another, lamenting, praying, seeking answers together. Secondly, Andrew Walls writes that theology is thinking and acting in a Christian way. If this is the case, then theology, or in this context, lived theology, is a verb. It is not a noun. It is active, risky, and messy. Theology is already occurring in living rooms, at work, as they commute, taking the subway in New York City. And we need to pay closer attention to what God is doing. Indian American Christians are reflecting theologically on what does it mean to be a part of God's story. Thirdly, next generations are leading the way. On fr Friday evenings at 7 p.m., young people from the International Gospel Church gathers over Zoom. They come together to pray, sing songs, play, and talk. Recently, in one of those meetings, they've opened up about the topic of violence against Asian Americans. They were encouraging and supporting one another. The Black Lives Matter movement is more than just a protest. It's about healing, healing of a nation that is deeply wounded. This movement is helping Indian American, American Christians to come to terms with their own racism and ways to be a part of the healing. As such, formed in the spirit, rooted in scripture, with Christ as their elder brother, Indian American Christians are digging in, ready to do the slow and hard work of seeking peace in cities across this nation and the world. Thank you so much. Before I hand over the mic to Bonnie, in the spirit of collaboration, let me share about an initiative from City Seminary of New York. Myself, Dr. Maria Lu Wang, who's the provost, and Dr. Mark Gornick are doing. We are conducting a national survey and focus groups on national church life in the city during COVID-19. Please uh, contact us if you want more information and I will put the survey link. I'm sorry, Darren has already put that survey link on the feed. So please uh, take a moment to uh, do it in the spirit of collaboration and also feel free to send it to those in your network. Thank you once again. Thank you so much, Dr. Gioman George, for that very inspiring, powerful presentation. And at this time, I just invite um, attendees to feel free to type your questions into the Q&A tab. 
And so, um, Gioma, what, what I think is so fascinating about you is you're a scholar, activist, uh, and also pastor, and, and you're a pastor of um, the International Gospel Church of Connecticut. And I'm wondering if you could tell us more about um, some of the ways that your church community has been having these conversations. Um, you know, you emphasize the solidarity, the importance of solidarity, and um, support with black Christians in this time, um, you know, due to common experiences of racism, colorism, understanding of caste system. Um, there are just so many uh, natural ways of um, resonance. And, and so can you share a little bit more about your church's initiatives and how conversations have been taking place? Yeah, this is where ethnography is really helpful as a pastor. Uh, if you look at the headlines, as I shared with you, uh, from a CNN uh, international correspondent, right? She writes about the silence of the Indian uh, American and also from UK and Canada uh, on this matter. But as a as a, as an ethnographer, you want to go deep. Uh, you want you want to listen to the community, and and I wanted to really see if that is the case, you know. And what I have discovered uh, is that that is not the case at all. Again, uh, it is digging in different layers. Looking through social, uh, looking doing doing digital ethnography, right? Looking at Facebook, looking at the, uh, looking at uh, Instagram, also looking at uh, YouTube's and having conversations, and that enabled me to discover there's much going on, you know, uh, between uh, young people, between generations in the church, outside the church, and also in the public square. And it is, it's a hard task of ethnography to discover that. So, I also, uh, the way that Indian Christians in the United States are, are digging in, in solidarity, marching, and also partnering with the local churches. So I know of a church that, that after post-COVID wants to connect with a local church and have a combined worship together. Uh, so it is the thing about long-term uh, uh, solidarity and long-term action plans, not just uh, uh, once, uh, once and for all. Yeah, thank you. So I see a question here from Hesiba Penumaka, vicar of Redeemer Lutheran Church. She says, I am a South Indian American from New York City. Anytime I talk about Black Lives Matter, I am labeled as a liberal. How do I engage in conversations with my Indian community without being labeled as a liberal? Yes, uh, it's, it's a posture. Uh, it's difficult. I said, uh, as I shared with you, uh, there is a racism within our church, and we need to name it, we need to acknowledge it, and we need to find ways to have those difficult conversations. And again, it is not to uh, uh, you know, uh, be critical, but rather creating a safe space to have this dialogue, understanding why they are having it. And as I mentioned in my paper, you know, uh, colorism, casteism, uh, which is prevailing back in India, I, I believe, you know, uh, contributes to this negative association. So understanding uh, why are they having these opinions? what is framing their conversations, what is their worldview, what is their perspective, that will enable me to be more empathetic, more to listen and understand which, from the, which perspective they are coming from, and then strive for a common ground. It is, it is the hard work. Uh, that's why we must dig in and, uh, and be intentional listening and having those conversations. 
Yeah, thank you very much. And Brooke Johnson, graduate student at Princeton University says, I'm a black American. Many people look down on black people and say that they have just made bad choices. What has been important for realizing that the issue with po poverty is more than bad choices? Which black leaders have inspired you the most? I have a good, uh, at City Seminary of New York, you know, we, we, I am surrounded by so many uh, African-American leaders. Uh, the first person that comes to mind is my colleague and friend, Pastor, uh, Pastor Adrian. You know, she is not just a pastor of the church, she is pastor of the community. You know, she she walks out and she lives in uh, she church in Harlem, and uh, it doesn't matter whether you go to her church or in uh, in that community. She she's a leader and she she has a prophetic voice. So also there are local leaders such as Pastor Adrian that that I continue to have conversation with and are inspired by. Yeah, thank you very much. Well, just as a reminder, we'll have another opportunity to engage with Dr. Giomon George at 1130 at our, during our panel. And so now I encourage everyone to head over to our next session with Dr. Jonathan Tran. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you.